From the Center of Theological Inquiry in Princeton, New Jersey, this is the Fresh Thinking Podcast. I'm Josh Malden, and I'm glad you're here. I think the lasting applause shows the appreciation for a superb presentation, Bill, but we're not over in the feast yet. I'm delighted now to welcome uh, Professor uh, Jacqueline Lapsley, who is the Associate Professor of Old Testament at our neighboring institution, Princeton Theological Seminary. I'm very proud to say also a member of the Center of Theological Inquiry, and Jack now is very kindly going to give an immediate response to Bill's lecture before we open it up for your own questions and comments. Jack, please welcome Professor Jack Lapsley. Thank you. Thank you, Will, um, for inviting me to respond. And thank you, Bill, for this wonderful and stimulating uh, presentation. Uh, so I'm, I'm really just going to touch on three areas. Uh, there were a number more that I wanted to talk about, but I want to leave plenty of time for you all uh, to ask questions and enter into full discussion. So I just want to touch on three things. The first is time. Um, Bill has an epigraph at the beginning of the lecture from the great uh, Hebrew Bible scholar John Levinson. He didn't read it, but uh, I saw it in the written version. And John Levinson says, geography is simply a visible form of theology. Now, this epigraph is a clue to the way that Bill enters into reading Job in light of astrobiology. Bill thinks with Job about space, in a way, about geography. The universe is expanding. So what does it mean that humanity is getting smaller and smaller within that space? The more we realize how large the universe is, the more we realize how little room we occupy. The issue might also be framed uh, in terms of time, and Bill's kind of heading in that direction, it seems to me, towards the end of the presentation. Uh, Some decades ago, and you may uh, already know this, the, the scientist Carl Sagan came up with this cosmic calendar, Um, On the cosmic calendar, it's a way of making comprehensible the the vast history of the universe. So in the cosmic calendar, the 13.8 billion year lifetime of the universe is condensed down into a single year from January to December. Um, So in the visualization, the Big Bang takes place at the beginning of January 1st at midnight. And our current moment, the present, is mapped onto the end of December 31st at midnight. So in this cosmic year, life itself appears on September 21st. Multicellular life on December 5th. Land plants on December 20th. Mammals on December 26th. And humans late in the evening on December 31st, just in time for the New Year's party, apparently. (laughs) So a human life uh, in this cosmic calendar lasts a quarter of a second, literally the blink of an eye. Uh, In a spatial image, it's been translated into the the universe is a football field, and um, human history is one handprint on that. So in light of the science and its implications for human identity, it seems that one further avenue for reflection might be around understandings of time. 
Bill mentions Einstein in passing because Einstein's revolution is not really a crucial one for what Bill's doing just in this lecture. But um, I wonder if uh, some more attention to time in light of Einstein might be um, uh, useful you know, for a larger uh, project because Einstein is the one who says time and space are not separate things. Right? They're, it's one thing. Uh, the second area I want to mention is poetry. So how might one respond to the sublime, that is, to the simultaneous wonder and terror of not knowing, or rather of knowing we are so infinitesimally small in this vast cosmos? And here I notice that the author of the book of Job and Bill have something in common. They both respond with poetry. So as part of his own reflection, Bill offers us his own lines of verse. You might have missed that. I mean, he put the lines up, but he didn't sort of claim them. That's Bill, uh, who was saying, who has made the comet's gaseous tail and cut away for the watery plumes of Enceladus to provide an icy ring for Saturn? And then I would also say your entire meditation at the end was also a poetic form. So the fact that Bill offers us a poetic response to Job might seem incidental, a mere moment of playfulness, not integral to the project as a whole. But I think that would be a mistake to think of it that way. For as the author of Job demonstrates, poetry is one of the best responses to the experience of the sublime, to the conundrum posed by our realization of our diminishing status in a vast world. It's a truism in literary theory that form and content are indissolubly one. As Martha Nussbaum says, literary form is an integral part of the search for and the statement of truth. So poetry is a peculiarly appropriate form in which to articulate existential questions of this magnitude and to make meaning from them, meaning making being a peculiarly human endeavor and vocation. So I wonder what difference Job's poetry as poetry makes for astrobiology. In his poem, Asphodel, that greeny flower, William Carlos Williams names what is at stake in poetry. He says, my heart rouses thinking to bring you news of something that concerns you and concerns many men. Look at what passes for the new. You will not find it there, but in despised poems. It is difficult to get the news from poems, yet men die miserably every day for lack of what is found there. In a time when the humanities and especially philosophy and the creative arts, including poetry, are denigrated in many circles and especially at the highest levels of our political leadership, it is, they deride it as useless. It's worth recalling that some news is only found in human creativity of this kind. Final thing I uh, want to bring up is dignity. In discussing um, the passage where God challenges Job to consider his relationship to the lion, Bill observes that the passage affirms each creature 
is an alien endowed with inalienable dignity for whom God is their provider. We can see the implications of this for astrobiology. Inherent dignity would be something that not only humans possess, but also life existing elsewhere in the universe. That human beings possess a divinely bestowed inherent dignity is a classic Christian claim, a claim that has been the subject of renewed scholarly energy recently, with a number of books and articles coming out on this theme. With human dignity everywhere under threat in the 21st century, it is sadly necessary to reassert this basic claim. We seem to be in a puzzling place. Human beings are, key passages in scripture attest, very important. But according to some science and some other key passages in scripture, we are much less important than we think we are. And according to scripture, non-human life is much more important than the West has allowed. In our culture, animals are objects to be used as other objects are used. We humans are not responsible for their flourishing because they are not viewed as entities with a capacity, and certainly not the right, to flourish. Yet in Job's view, God is a biophile, as Bill puts it, a creator who delights in all these various creatures, who live and move and have their being in God as God intended, free and fearless. Until we can get, collectively, our minds around that way of seeing non-human terrestrial life, we will not be able to get our minds around the idea that extraterrestrial life possesses an inherent dignity as well. Thank you again, Bill, for this feast uh, for the imagination and the mind.